Good morning, KCC. I am Chiu Xia. This is my daughter, Nancy. We have been attending TCC for about 10 years. And today we will be reading Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, 6, and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Of the greatness of his garment and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kusha and Nancy. We had Isaiah chapter 6 on the screen. Welcome to the season of Advent. I'm so excited about Advent and the Christmas season. Yesterday, um, not yesterday, this weekend my family took some time. We went and got a tree. I'm just feeling very festive this morning. Do you guys mind if I have some eggnog? I'm going to take that laughter as a yes. Go. I mean, a no. I do not mind, Adam, if you have some eggnog. Who likes eggnog? Okay, wow, that really, not that many of you. We won't serve eggnog for brunch, I guess, because, uh, or maybe we should, maybe we should. But eggnog is great. I love the, the music, the lights. It's so fun with our little girls as they grow up, and they're just enjoying, uh, enjoying this time of, of setting up the tree and getting into the Christmas spirit. Who, how many of us were at uh, Winter Delight last night? A few of us, yeah. No, that's good, that's good. That was a great time. The team did an incredible job, and I really appreciated it. Um, well, this past fall, we've been in a series called Life Together, and we've been talking about this whole reality that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he is simultaneously calling us into community. And so we've been looking at that reality of, okay, if life with Jesus isn't just me and God, me and Jesus, but it's me and Jesus and a community, what is that community supposed to look like? So we've been fleshing that out week over week, looking at different themes and different things that we learn uh, from Scripture about what this community is supposed to look like. And as we head into Advent, we are excited because each week, as Norb's already talked about, we're going to be talking about different Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And in talking about this series, Norb and I decided that um, instead of just, you know, stopping our Life Together series, we're like, let's keep going. And last Sunday, we talked about being a community of light, this reality that God has um, blessed us with his spirit, he's filled us with his spirit, um, and that we are to be a light, we're to carry that nature and character of God into the world around us. And how appropriate for us to continue to reflect on that, that missional reality 
that you and I are ambassadors of the presence of God in our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, our schools, our every environment we find ourselves in. But how appropriate to look at that reality through various lenses. So we want to carry this out uh, through our Advent series. And so this morning we're going to kick that off by talking about what it is to be a community of hope. Now when we look at this uh, glass of eggnog, how would you describe it? Is it half full or is it half empty? All right, if, it's, if you're going to say half full, it means that I still have so much eggnog to enjoy and I have so much to look forward to and it's going to be great. If you say it's half empty, it means that poor Adam, he's already halfway through his eggnog and soon there will be no eggnog left for him in that cup. Well, when we look at a glass like this and we can think half empty or half full, it's a very easy way to, to sp- kind of split a room into two different personality camps, isn't it? A pessimist on one side and a, um, an optimist on the other. Is the glass half empty or half full? And when we think about being Christians around this whole topic of hope, one might ask the question, of, as a Christian, should I maintain a posture of optimism? Or should I maintain a posture of pessimism as a Christian? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because it's a trick question. Um, I think immediately our thoughts go to the reality that, well, we're Christians. We should be joyful. We should be happy all of the time. We should shine this light into the world. So pessimism is clearly off the table. But when we read scripture and we read the Psalms, and we read about the suffering of the early church and all these different things, it might quickly appear to us that the answer is not necessarily that black and white, uh, nor is it that quick. Because one of the problems with optimism is that it can easily ignore the realities of what is going on, right? It can get rid of certain evidences just to simply hope and hope and wish for the best outcome. Um, But that is not necessarily the best thing at all times. Sometimes we need pessimism. Sometimes pessimism presents a certain realism when we consider our circumstances and situations around us. So while we might think that pessimism is off the table, a, a read of scripture might say, well, is it? There's actually a time to be realistic about what's going on around us. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to grieve. There's a time to struggle and wrestle with all these realities. Well, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project um, used this eggnog illustration himself once and brought up this pessimism and optimism. And he came to this conclusion that scripture actually doesn't put us into these camps of pessimism or optimism. Rather, it offers a third way. And we're not to be as Christians pessimists or optimists entirely, but we are to be people of hope. The third way, being a person of hope. Because hope does what optimism and pessimism cannot do on their own. Hope acknowledges difficulty. Hope acknowledges that things are not okay. Hope looks out into the world and sees it as it is. And instead of sweeping it under the rug, instead of just trying its best to say, well, things are going to work out, it looks at all that is going on and then it begins to dream of a future where things will indeed be okay. But that dream is not baseless. It's set upon and fixed on the person of Jesus Christ, his work in history, his work in the present, and his work in the future. And that is hope. It is not ignoring the evidences. Rather, it's looking forward to a future that is described for us in Scripture. It is more than optimism. And it does not just sweep reality under the rug. We are a community of hope. 
And if we're not for some reason, we are to be a community of hope. This morning, I want to talk about how God has given us hope and how the light of Jesus Christ has confirmed that hope and allows us to anticipate a good future and how this hope is one that we need to share with others. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's open to Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 has embedded within it a classic Christmas passage that we visit this time every single year. And we're going to do that again this morning. Now Isaiah chapter 9 is a beautiful picture of hope because Isaiah is in no way ignoring the difficulty of the situation that is going on. And if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, Isaiah spends a lot of time talking about judgment Okay, he talks about this coming judgment of God, the consequences uh, that Israel is about to experience because of their sin. Sorry, rather Judah is about to experience for their sin. But then he also spends a lot of time talking about hope and the promises of God. And here in chapter 9, we get a bit of both of that. But right before we get into chapter 9, this is the situation that Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 8, uh, 21 to 22. He says... They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah does not sound like an optimist, does he? And he goes on here, and this is our our chapter this morning. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here in in Isaiah chapter 9? Isaiah is looking at something that has happened He's, he's looking at an event in history and he's contrasting it to a future that has not yet happened. Now, Isaiah is prophesying in Judah, which is the southern region of Israel. And he's talking about the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, which is in the north region of Israel. Uh, which, and when we get into the prophets, when they reference Israel, they're talking about the north. And when they talk about Judah, they're talking about Jerusalem in the south. So Isaiah here is referencing and talking about the land of Israel in the north to Zebulun and Naphtali who have been in anguish. They've experienced anguish and we can read about that anguish in 2 Kings 17. And in 2 Kings 17, the kings of Assyria came and they wiped out the people of Israel. They took them away. They, They took them into exile. They suffered the consequence for their sin. And so the people of Judah are looking to their neighbors in the north and they're feeling this coming destruction, this coming pain, this coming situation where they too are going to be exiled. Pretty difficult to have hope. But Isaiah brings this prophecy. And he says, look at the anguish. See all this stuff? All the anguish and the pain? It's not going to be like that forever. Do you see the darkness? It's not going to be dark forever. And he begins to describe a new future, something else to expect. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, a light has shone. But Isaiah, it's impossible. You don't understand the level of darkness. We've been exiled from the land. We've been taken from this place. It's going to be light? Yeah, it's going to be light. 
He goes on, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. Where there was once sorrow, there's now joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. A picture of prosperity and celebration. And that's not all. For the yoke of its burden and the staff on his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken on the, as in the day of Midian. Pointing back to the story of Gideon from uh, the, book of, the book of Judges. This victory is going to come about. The war is going to end. The oppressor's work will be no more. Every boot of the trampling war in battle and tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Wow. Isaiah here is giving them this picture of hope. Circumstantially, Isaiah is absolutely crazy to say this. The land has been devoured. And the threat of Israel's conqueror from Assyria is imminently now coming upon Judah. But here's the thing about history. Here's the thing about our reality. God gets the last word. Friends, Christian hope is so much more than optimism because it is living in the reality that God gets the last word. God gets the last word. This past week, uh, my two-year-old daughter came up to me with a broken toy and she said, Daddy, fix it. And this has been a refrain in my house of late because I've gained a reputation among my daughters as being able to fix absolutely anything. And I am pretty good at fixing toys. I have exhausted several tubes of super glue and um, restored broken Paw Patrols back to life. So I'm pretty amazing in that way. But doing this over and over again for my daughters has generated something in them that when a toy is broken, they aren't upset. They don't freak out. They don't yell at their sister for breaking it. Rather, they say, and I've heard Libby say this, it's okay. My dad will fix it. And they bring me this broken toy. And I get to work with my super glue and my clamps. And 24 hours later, they're restored. Why can my daughter say this? She can say it because of who I am as her father. That I am one who, if I cannot fix the toy, I will probably go and buy a new one to replace it and tell her I fixed it. (laughs) But friends, in Scripture, hope is the expectation of coming good based on the character and nature of God. Where optimism might say that just everything will be okay. Sure, but based on what? Christian hope is saying... At the end of time, God has the last word. Things will be okay based on who God is. Not based on me. Not based on the success of our government or military. Not based on the success of our economy. But based on who God is. And He is unshaking. What He said will be is what will be. And what was God's last word in in Isaiah chapter 9? We keep reading in verse 7, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is the response to the devastation and the pain and the heartache in Israel and Judah? 
God's response is a baby. For unto us a child is born. The anticipated, longed-for Savior of the people of Israel. And Isaiah sees all the devastation. He says, guys, he's coming. The Savior is coming. We can have hope. And if we turn the pages of our Bibles and get into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4 records for us. Um, it echoes back to Isaiah chapter 9. When Jesus began his ministry, where does he go? After he hears that John had been arrested, we read in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus heads into Galilee and leaving Nazareth. He, he's, he's living in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And this tips Matthew, our gospel writer, off. And he points back to Isaiah chapter 9 to say this prophecy was fulfilled because the Savior, the child who was born, is walking around in Zebulun and Naphtali, increasing their joy. Jesus is the light. Isaiah's hope is justified. 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, this happens. It's realized in its fullness in the person of Jesus Christ and his continued ministry as he walked around into places of darkness bringing light. Where he walked around into places of hopelessness bringing and restoring hope. Friends, we need to recognize that in Isaiah's prophecy he does not ignore the bad. And in fact the bad did come. Judah was exiled. They were taken into captivity. But Isaiah gave them the hope by pointing to a future that testifies to the reality that God is the one who gets the last word. Friends, this is the gift of hope that we have been given. God acting in history again and again. God demonstrating that he gets to testify. Sorry, God, God demonstrating that he gets the last word. That he is the one who has the final say over human history. That is the gift of hope that we have. Friends, we can have hope. We can hope because Jesus has come as God said he would. We can hope because Jesus rose from the dead as Jesus said he would. We can hope because his Holy Spirit has been at work in communities throughout history. As Jesus said, his spirit would be at work. Bringing light into darkness for the last 2,000 years. We can have hope and expect that God will work and act again in history. If not in our present day realities in the future of history as well. He will do what he said he will do. Amen? Amen. So we are a community of hope. We are a community in which we do not put the weight of hope on the circumstances of the world. We do not put a weight of hope in situations of our own lives. But as a community, we place our weight of hope on the expectation that God will act again in history. That justice will prevail, that peace will come to creation. And friends, this is very, very different than what our culture has to offer. We are very different from the world in this way, and we have to understand that. The world around us often responds to difficulty with trite optimism. They say, well, you know, everything will be okay. 
But they don't want to ask the question, why will everything be okay? On what basis will everything be okay? And much of our comfort in optimism, especially in Western civilization, comes only because we are so privileged. And only because even when bad things happen, we still have an abundance of blessings to point to. But that type of optimism, this sense of, well, just everything will just work out. It'll be okay ignores the fact that there's people in our world who are victims of injustice, who are circumstantially suffering, and that there is nothing really to be optimistic about. Hunger, sickness, war, and death. The response of, well, everything will be okay, seems to fall flat. But as Christians, our hope is bold the early apostles believed that what, was, what had happened in the resurrection of Jesus was just a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole of the universe. As Christians are awaiting the return of Jesus, and we're waiting for a total realization for justice to cover the earth. As Christians, we have hope that there will come a time where there is no death, where there is no sickness, where every tear will be wiped from our eyes. A hope that waits for God to bring about a future that is as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. That is our hope. In Ephesians, we read that um, we've been called to this hope. We've been called to be a people of hope, a community of hope. And friends, our hope moves in a specific direction. We have hope that we will have union with Christ, day in and day out experiencing relationship with God in a way that transcends no, no matter the difficult situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. That we have access to a peace and a joy that is unexplainable. A peace and a joy that endures no matter the difficulty. That's part of our hope. But we also have hope and expect the return of Christ. That he will come back to judge the living and the dead. That he will come back and make things new again. That is our hope. And this is a reality that marks our community we believe and trust in a God who's acted in history, acts today, and will act in the future. We can acknowledge the pain and the heartache of this world. We can acknowledge that the odds are not set in our favor, yet find peace with Jesus in the present and dream for and anticipate a future of good and live into this reality. So how might we mature as a community of hope? How might we mature as a community of hope? Well, I think we find ourselves in such a great season to do this. Observe Advent. <laughs> Advent invites us to immerse our hearts in hope-filled anticipation of our coming Savior. The word Advent very simply means coming. And the, the idea around Advent is, of course, this first part of uh, they waited for Jesus. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. This living in darkness, longing for the light to come. And they waited and waited for Jesus to come. And so we remember that at Advent, that Jesus did indeed come. But that is half of the story. The other part of Advent is the reality that Christ will come again. This is a declaration of the church for the last 2,000 years, that Jesus will return. And as the advent of the first Christmas was waiting in darkness for the coming Messiah, so we wait in the second advent, this longing for Christ to come again. 
And again, in the West, we are not very good at waiting. In fact, our Christmas, our Christmas season in the West wants to ignore Advent altogether. That's why we call it the Christmas season. But we're not in the season of Christmas. We're in the season of Advent. Why does that matter? It matters because the season of Christmas is 12 days starting on December 25th, and it's all about celebration. Christmas Day, we begin to celebrate Christ has come. The Messiah has come. Christmas Day, we celebrate Christ will come. He is coming. But what's Advent about? Well, similar to Lent, it's, it's this time of waiting. It's this time of looking around and seeing the darkness. It's this time where you allow yourself this sense of like, man, things are not okay. We enter into that posture. We enter into that prayerfulness. We enter into that longing. We enter into the waiting. Last year, I invited us as a church to spend time in Advent to set a candle somewhere in your house that's very visible. You see it, but don't light it. And let the candle stay unlit until Christmas Day as a visual reminder that there's something I'm waiting for. There is something that I am longing for. These types of things in the season of Advent help orient our hearts around the reality of hope. That, that suffering and pain is not something Christians should sweep under the rug or just say, oh, it'll be okay. But it's something we stare at, we look at, we see it, we ask God why and we bring it to Him. Sometimes in pain, all the time in longing, wishing that God will come and take something that is broken and make it new again. And the way that my daughters come to me and say, Daddy, fix it. We see the pain and the heartache and the brokenness in the world, the war in Ukraine, the suffering because of our broken economy. And we come to God and we say, God, will you fix it? Will you make this new again? And we trust that in his time and in his way, he will. So I invite you during this season of Advent to reflect on what Christ's coming means. And ask yourself, what am I hoping in? What am I longing for? Is it the life that Jesus has for you or is it something else? Leads to my second point. How do we mature as a community of hope? We immerse ourselves in the story of God. We immerse ourselves in the story of God. Romans chapter 15 verse 4, Paul writes that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Paul is recognizing what we teach on week in and week out. We need to live our lives according to the scripture. We need to live our lives according to what God says about history, about our present, and about our future. And it is so easy for us to live into different stories. A quote I heard uh, this past summer, I have no idea who said it first, but this reality that the stories we live in are the stories that we live out. And you think about our Western culture is just so saturated in the American dream, right? This idea of we all need to pursue wealth and prosperity to experience the good life. And because we believe that dream and live into that dream, because we saturate our minds in advertising and this whole idea that if you can only have this, that, and the other thing, then you'll be happy, we live out of that. We believe it. 
We think that, man, I need to have this, that, and the other thing. I need this experience to be happy. I need this possession to be happy. I need all this, this perfect situation and circumstance, the right job, the right spouse, the right family, the right pictures, the best Instagram account, the best TikTok video in order to be happy. When we live into that story, that's what we live out. And it makes us miserable people because that's not what God made us for. The story of Scripture says that we were made for God, that we were made for union with Christ. And that no matter our situation or circumstance, we can have joy. We can have hope. But when we spend so much time immersed in the story of the world, and we're not counteracting that with the story we have in Scripture, we live out our faith and we wonder why God is so disappointing or so unexciting. Well, maybe we're living into the wrong story. We become people of hope as we live into the story of God. We become people of hope as we immerse ourselves in God's word. It goes back to the message earlier this this fall that we are to be a people of the word. And as we live into God's story, it leads to this next one that we mature as a community of hope as we persevere in seasons where we feel there is little or no reason to hope. We persevere when there's little or no reason to hope. Friends, when we are in difficulty, we wrestle with the temptation to place our hope in things other than God. When we're feeling down and out, when we're looking at the landscape of our reality and things are not going the way we think that we should, they should, we fight the temptation to place our hope in things other than God. But nothing was designed to bear the weight of our hope. Everything else will disappoint What's interesting, the thing we need to keep in mind about the story of God is that even as Jesus showed up on the scene, he was a huge disappointment to so many people. Did you ever notice that? All this hope, all this longing for a savior, Jesus shows up, God acts in history, he rises from the dead, and there's a whole bunch of people who are super disappointed. Why are they super disappointed? Because they aren't living out the story of God, they're living out their own story. Jesus didn't conquer Rome. Jesus didn't make the Pharisees the latest, greatest, best in the religious circles. Jesus taught a way of life that offended people. They didn't want to live that way. Tim Mackey comments on this, and he says that hoping in God is allowing him the freedom and creativity to fulfill his promises his way. So in the midst of trying circumstances, when things aren't going the way we plan, part of our perseverance is the recognition that God is going to have, have his day and his way and his time. Part of the process of being a people of hope is surrendering our anticipation, surrendering what we think the best and absolute perfect situation looks like. We surrender that to God. We say to God, God, this is, this is what I think, this is how I think things should be. This is how I think my circumstance should be. But God, I recognize that I am not you. I give this back to you. Friends, the people of Judah waited 700 years for Isaiah's prophecy to be fulfilled. We have trouble waiting a week for our Amazon delivery to show up at our door. But God's story playing out over human history, we need to recognize that it might look different than we think. And as we surrender those thoughts, when we surrender those expectations to God, And we say, God, this is what I want, but help me to want what you want. 
we grow in being a community of hope. As we lean into him and we trust him. As we come to seek to see things the way he sees them. And I believe we mature as a community of hope as we rejoice in hope. Through prayer, worship, encouragement, and testimony. I just want to turn uh, First Thessalonians, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm just going to read it for us. Um, in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, and in First Thessalonians, Paul's been talking a lot about the future hope that the church has. And he kind of gets into this end section and he, he kind of describes to them how they're to interact with one another. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul here is is writing to and encouraging this church uh, to, to live out a certain way. And I just love the words here that he uses. This, his invitation to encouragement, his invitation uh, to, to pray, to worship. I think there's this reality that if we're going to mature as a community of hope, we need to help one another hope when hope is difficult. We need to help one another hope when hope is difficult. And how do we do that? Well, we journey together in our seasons of doubt. We journey together in our, seri- in our, in our seasons of pain. We journey together when we're looking around the world and we're saying, I don't think God's going to do anything here. We've, had, we've all had those moments. But then we step into a community of faith where our words can encourage one another. Our prayers can encourage one another. Our songs encourage one another. And we help those in our midst who are feeling hopeless gain a little bit of hope. And we do it together. We do it together I love this quote by um, Randolph Tasker. He says, The goodness of God for us is never exhausted. The best is still to be. And that is the encouragement we bring to one another. Friends, the goodness of God to us is never exhausted. And the best is still to be. Now all of this is great. (laughs) God has an ongoing story of history. We can look to the past to see how he has worked. We can look in our present to see how he has worked. And we can anticipate that what he said he will do in the future, he will do. And we can use all of this to encourage us as individuals, encourage us as a community, but that's not enough. We also need to take this hope and we need to share it with the world around us. We need to share the hope. We need to share this hope. Um, First Peter this is a familiar passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 13 to 17, uh, is a great text for this. Sorry, it's a lot of words on the screen. Uh, but in 1 Peter, writing to these churches, he says, Who's there to harm you if you're zealous for good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
Now, lots can be said about this, and um, there's a lot to be said about Christian suffering. Uh, the New Testament talks extensively about as Christians, we will suffer. Uh, notice here that Peter has pointed to multiple times here that uh, uh, their situations will not be overly favorable. But what's his encouragement? Is in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that pain, live faithfully before God in such a way that people who are looking at your life ask questions. So how do we begin to share hope? I think we need to begin to share hope by living out our hope in such a way that it causes you to be questioned. Live out your hope in such a way that it causes you to be questioned. That your classmates at school, in junior high and high school or university, that your coworkers, that your, your family who maybe doesn't know God, that when they look at your life, they got questions. <laughs> When they watch the way that you navigate difficulty in the economy, when they watch the way you talk about other people, when they witness your life, your generosity, your encouragement of others, they have questions. That's a huge part of what Peter is saying here. Now what's dangerous about this teaching is it's so easy for us to just settle in this, um, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Um, That is not from scripture. Um, And so we don't hang our hats on that. Every time scripture talks about sharing the gospel, it's always using verbs that require speech, okay? Every time. So not only do we live out our lives in such a way that people ask questions and we can respond to them about our hope, But we need to also actively share the hope we have with us using our words. Not being scared to go and tell people about the hope that we have in us. Which I know can be very challenging. But here's the reason why it's so important. Um, One of the scholars, um, sorry, one of the commentaries that I was reading, a, a scholar pointed out that a majority of secular thinkers in the ancient world regarded hope, the concept of hope, as a temporary illusion. Which is to say that from a secular point of view, within secular philosophy in the, in the ancient world, hope didn't exist, okay? So as well, it's just, you can't really hang your hat on anything. There is no hope. Now what's interesting about this is that Scripture actually affirms this reality. Because Scripture teaches that those who do not know God have no hope. Now this I actually find personally a troubling teaching. But both Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 teach that if you do not have God, you do not have hope. Now at first I find this kind of offensive uh, a little bit. um, But then it's interesting again to recognize that even secular philosophy affirms that. If you don't have something to root your hope in, if you don't have something to set your hope upon, your hope is at best a dream that might inspire some sort of uh, good feelings within you. But hope, to be hope, to actually be hope, it has to be based upon something, which makes the Christian concept of hope actually quite unique. Because we're not just saying be hopeful for the sake of being hopeful. We're not just saying be hopeful, everything will maybe work out for good. We're saying be hopeful because there is a God in heaven who loves you, who's worked throughout history, who's demonstrated in the past and the present that he will act in history. And so we can trust and hope that he will act again in the future. Amen? Friends, that is unique to Christian thought. And because it is unique to Christian thought, we have to 
take up this task of being people who herald hope in a dark world, who bring light to darkness. Because if we don't bring that message, who will? From a biblical understanding, Christians are the ones alone who carry this message of hope. We have to share it. We have to share it. Which means that we actively position ourselves in situations where people are facing difficulty and we testify to hope. Actively position yourself. Go look for opportunities. Where can I find situations where people are facing difficulty? Maybe it is a close friend or family member. Maybe it is a friend of a friend who's struggling. Whatever it is, you find these places. And you go and you bring the light and the hope of the gospel. You find these places and you share the message of Jesus Christ. Who loves them. Who gave his life for them. Who's created a possibility for them to enter into union with God and experience life abundant. And who's welcomed them to experience a reality where where death is not the end of their story. Friends, we carry this message of hope. A really, really easy way to do that in this Christmas season, we're surrounded by the word Christmas and all these invitations of of Advent, all these things. It's just highlight, you know, what are you celebrating at, at Christmas? Tell your friends and your coworkers what you're celebrating and invite them to Christmas Eve. We don't hand out Christmas Eve invitations in hopes that we'll have the greatest attendance in all of Edmonton. (laughs) That's not our ambition. We hand out invitations because on Christmas Eve we're sharing the gospel. And we'd love to create a space for you to bring your friends and family who maybe don't know Jesus. Each one of you should have received one of these invitations uh, when you came in this morning from our greeters. Um, That's just one. My hope is that you don't go home and, and put this on your fridge. Sorry, my optimism is not that you go home and put this on your fridge. That doesn't make sense. Um, don't go home and just put this on your fridge. But give this to someone, a friend, a coworker. Tell them, you're invited to this Christmas Eve service. I'll be there. I'll pick you up. It'd be great to have you. There's going to be hot cocoa and cider and, and carol singings. And we're going to learn more about Jesus. So if you want more of these, we have a whole bunch of them available at the Connection Center. If you want to go pick up three, four, or five. But I encourage you, find someone uh, to hand this out to uh, in the coming days and weeks. Well, I'm not sure how you're hearing uh, this message this morning. My first question for you is, do you know this hope? When I talk about a God who loves you, who created you, who's acted in history... Maybe you sit there in skepticism saying, That's, you sound crazy. The return of Jesus? What's in your eggnog, man? Like, I don't blame you for thinking that. But I would love to talk to you more about that. Because the belief in Jesus who died and rose again 2,000 years ago, I believe he's God. And I believe he has an abundant life for each and every one of us. And I'd love to talk to you about that. So I encourage you to to come and ask. I'd love to share with you the hope that I have in Jesus. For some of us this morning, maybe you're hearing this message and it sounds conceptually fantastic, but you know you're not living in it. 
And you look at your life and you recognize, man, I'm putting my hope in all sorts of places, but it certainly isn't Jesus. I want to invite you this Advent season to repent of that, to say you're sorry, and to invite the Holy Spirit to, to bring you into this place of hope, this expectation for God to work in and through you in ways that he never has before. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about this idea of you know a lot of people who don't know hope. That you have a lot of family members or friends who who don't know the hope of Jesus. I encourage you to ask Jesus, pray. Say, Lord, I want to share your hope with these people. Help me to do that. Help me to do that. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. We're going to uh, sing a, a song together, uh, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. Uh, Brian Dirksen has uh, creatively written a Christmas um, chorus for this song, so the words might be a little bit new to some of us. But this is our declaration, that Jesus is the hope of the nations. That is the hope we celebrate this Advent season. It's the hope that we live in year-round. And let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, that our hope is not baseless, but that we can look into history and see the miracles, see the way that you have acted. That we can look at our lives and just experience and know the difference that you've made in our lives. And we praise you for the ways that you are at work in and through us, Lord. But Lord, just open our eyes to the realities of that hope this morning. May it fill us with courage. May it fill us with confidence. May it fill us with joy and peace. You say we love you, Jesus. May you be glorified in our lives as we live as a community of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.